Welcome to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Welcome back, folks. We are excited for many, many reasons. Uh, one of which is because we're kind of nerds now. We're kind of tech nerds. And we got this new soundboard. So you're going to be hearing a bunch more uh, sound bits, some funny stuff. Uh, what you just heard was one of our buttons. I know it sounds normal to you, but I'm kind of tweaking out over here because it's going to make my job uh, so much more easier. Uh, Tweaker. I'm tweaking. So anyways, uh, what you guys are going to hear today, I think, is a very respected guy in the cattle industry. Um, we just uh, talked a, a bunch of, around the discussions of show cattle and really heard some unique things we didn't know were going to happen uh with mr yeah. jane meyer so uh first and foremost Corey, we got some good sponsors uh, as always ladies and gentlemen title sponsor walt mudcasting more of a partner than a title sponsor yeah let's be honest let's be real these guys are incredible at what they do uh if you need to catch up on your kansas uh state fair action Go back and watch those in the archives. That was just this week. Really cool stuff that they have going on. Continuing to bring you the best live coverage of stock shows across the country. WaltonWebcasting.com. Go subscribe. Check it out. StockCenter.tv is still alive and well. On the road with Greg, Trev. On the road with Greg. Yeah. Follow their Facebook page uh, for that. In the air with Greg was last week. I'm anxious to see what his next trip is going to be like. Get in the air now. Get in the air with Greg. I wonder when we're going to see on a boat with Greg. On a boat. Ooh, you're on to something yeah. here. Yeah. So let's let's just get Greg involved. Land, air, and sea. Ooh, land, air, and sea. I like. I dig. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, folks. Jeff. We have another. We have another. Uh, you know, I hope you don't fast forward through these because somebody needs to say something here. Yeah. Show Cattle Connection, my friend. Uh, they're big time and their sales today are huge. Just to name a few uh, usual suspects. Uh, we've got A&J Cattle Company tomorrow. Um, just flipping through their website here. M Lazy Heart Ranch Western Shootout. Uh, the September editions today. My gosh, I could keep going and going. So many sales on Show Cattle Connection. Make sure you're jumping on there to buy your cattle. Uh, they're loaded with experienced team that's industry leaders that will help you get your stuff sold. Say you're on the opposite end and want got some calves you want to get sold. You're going to be in the right hands with some of their uh, support team that they have. Book a sale with Show Cattle Connection and experience the positive results. Well, with that being said, we're not going to keep you from Mr. Shane Meyer any more than we have to because, uh, Corey, it's your turn to introduce him. Ladies and gentlemen, on today's podcast, we have a man of many words. He's an expert at running the gauntlet that is managing a stock show. Ever heard of Lyndon B. Johnson, 36th president of the United States? Yeah, his dad ranched his cattle. We talk about it. Whoa. Meyer 734 cow? Yeah. Uh, not his. Don't be confused by it. <laughs> but he still has some pretty awesome cows. Let's get to it, Mr. Shane Meyer. 
Well, folks, we're still on the cattle ring. We have another huge guest, Shane Myers, with us. Shane, thanks so much for uh, sitting down with us this morning and uh, sharing your story. Looking forward to it today. Looking forward to visiting with you guys. Well, cool, man. Hey, before we get into the nitty-gritty details that we're looking forward to here, won't you just tell us a little about, bit about yourself and kind of what you do for a living and, and obviously where you're from? Okay, I live in uh, Stonewall, Texas, which is kind of the heart of the hill country in Texas. It's a little over an hour north of San Antonio, a little over an hour west of Austin. Uh, I was grew, I grew up here in Stonewall on a Hereford ranch. My dad actually worked for the president of the United States, Lyndon Johnson, for his uh, active working Hereford cattle ranch. And we grew up on that. And uh, we uh, I was born in 74. Johnson passed away in 73. But uh, Johnson was uh, the four kind of got all the parks and, and stuff like that going. So it became it stayed a working ranch. My dad worked on that. We grew up on that. That was a cow-calf operation, probably about a couple hundred head of Hereford cows. That's where I learned how to do the things that we learned how to do, pull calves, AI cows, just run a daily operation. We did a lot of horseback riding, rounding up cattle and working cattle. And then we also had ran our own personal Hereford cattle. And on the side, my dad, uh, we had a fitness service. And my me and my two brothers, Lydell and Tyson, we uh, – that's where we learned how to uh, to clip, feed, and, and get bulls ready for bull sales all throughout the state of Texas. And then grew up showing uh, Hereford uh, steers and Hereford heifers all over the state. And we, we made it to a junior nationals once and, and this, that, and the other. And and uh, then went on to uh, judge at South Plains College in Level Land. And uh, actually started livestock judging when I was in third grade, gave my first set of reasons when I was in third grade, scared to death. But we had a great we had a great uh, county agent and uh, he saw a lot of potential uh, in our in our team and uh, just threw us to the wolves, if you sort of speak. And um, I gave my first set of reasons in third grade and. You know, never looked back, and we we were fortunate enough. We uh, our team won state in 4-H, went on the nationals, and then me and another kid went and got on the FFA team. And the next year, we won state and FFA in livestock judging. So, livestock judging was huge in uh, high school, and I, and like I said, started it at an early age, and then went to South Plains. The funny thing about South Plains, when I went there to judge, I just assumed that everybody that I was judging with had the same background I did. Right. You know, we didn't have social media and we didn't have Snapchat and we didn't have all this stuff. So it, the the funny thing of this was, was in a classroom of about 40, Jim Jenkins, which he's passed on. He was the coach at the time and kind of a crazy character, if you will. And he was kind of leaned back in his chair and he goes, how many of you guys uh, know how to give reasons and have ever give reasons? And I mean, I was just, I mean, I was ready to tackle the world. I raised my hand and this was excited. I figured the whole class would raise my hand. He popped up and he goes, all right, smart Alec, jump up here and give us a set of reasons. <laughs> and I, was like, I looked around and I didn't see anybody else's hand. And so I, for some odd reason, I remembered a bull class that I judged three years ago and I rattled it off. The guy jumped up, clapped his hands. He goes, that's how you do it. And that's kind of so, uh, could have went two ways very quickly, but looks yeah. like you went the right way. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but uh, then uh, got married to my wife Tanya. Got two boys. We um, they've showed 
extensively. Our oldest boy is uh, in his third year of college right now. Um, he was a really good golf player, played a little golf in college at a D3 school. And then our youngest boy is a, a senior this year. So we've been actively involved in a, in a raising livestock our entire life. And then my young, younger brother, Lydell, lives out in Tennessee, and they raise Angus, uh, Red Angus and Simmental cattle. And uh, he's actively involved in, in the more of the breeding cattle side of it. We're more actively involved in the show steer end of it. But uh, uh, he as well judges a lot of shows, too. And then uh, uh, leading up to that. Throughout our deal, my family and I, we decided to branch out and we started a, a, a show series called Battle of the Cattle. That's incredible. The The history of, of the ranch is, is interesting to me because, you know, you could sometimes hear about, you know, old political figures having livestock and stuff like that, but you never really uh, get involved or understand who is involved in caring for those animals because obviously they've got a lot going on. So I'd be interested to know how your dad even got, got into that deal. My, my dad, uh, it's a funny story. He, he uh, graduated high school and uh, he started working for, for Lyndon Johnson part time. Uh, he knew the ranch foreman and applied for a job over there. And at the time in this area, you know, Lyndon Johnson, he probably owned close to 2000 acres, which is quite a bit of land for the area that we live in. And uh during his political reign with uh, JFK, and then when JFK was assassinated, and then the president took the took the the seat, and then he was president there. Um, my dad knew him. I mean, he would he would come out to the ranch and, and sit down and visit with them, and uh, and this, that, and the other. And so he was always very actively in, involved in raising Hereford cattle. They would go to shows. And uh, Lyndon Johnson would be there at the shows. And uh, my dad's got tons of pictures of him exhibiting uh, cattle, Hereford cattle at, at Dallas and, and, and shows like that at our State Fair of Texas and, uh, and Lyndon Johnson there in the picture. So uh, you think about it nowadays. I mean, how did that even happen? And, and it was, you know, my dad said he would, he would drive out there on the ranch when he was home. And uh, of course, he had his own plane. had They had a, a air a runway right there on the ranch. And uh, you know, as a kid, I was born in '74. Johnson passed away in '73, so I never met him. But I met his wife. I met all their kids. Uh, my dad was uh, always at all their family events and uh, kept a relationship with them. And uh, it was pretty neat growing up on that ranch. We kind of took it for granted because. Uh, you know, that's just what we grew up in and the ranch is beautiful and now anybody can come here and visit it, but, uh, to have a working ranch that every pasture road is paved, uh, there are no gates to open. Everything's a cattle guard. Uh, so and every pasture had its own personal tank. Uh, it's, it's, it was, it was quite a deal. You're like, Oh man, this, this makes ranching pretty easy. Now where we ran our own cattle, it was nothing like that, but, uh, it was, it was neat to see all that. And then, Moving forward a little bit, as I grew up and and we went out there and worked, they had a full time vet on staff. And since I was the oldest of the three boys, I kind of always went with the vet everywhere. So I learned a lot of stuff. I probably worked for ten years every day during the summer with that vet, pulling calves, um, you know, doctoring, vaccinating, dehorning, castrating, doing all kind of stuff. So I, I worked hand in hand with that vet day in and day out throughout the summer months when we weren't at school. That's huh. interesting. So, so you guys, um, you know, obviously grew up, grew up in the Hereford arena. 
Um, but what, you know, take us kind of to today, what, what's your, what's your cow herd look like and, and how do you market those livestock? You know, is it sales or pasture sales, whatever? Uh, yeah. You know, when I was in my, uh, early twenties and, and came back to this area and decided I was going to trade club calves, uh, Harvard cattle are always kind of my heart and soul of, of what I like. So we've always, I've always had Herford, a few Herford cows. At one time, I had as many as 150 head of cattle, and then we went, kind of went through a drought there in uh, 11 and 12, mm-hmm. and, I, and I trimmed them down pretty good. But, uh, the, you know, and then, you know, for here, the, the slick shear deal took off, so I had a lot of Charlay-based cows there for a while, but I probably had as many Hereford cows as I did Charlay cows. And then now we've kind of trimmed the herd back, and honestly, we what we what we have now is, is uh basically Hereford cows that, that you know some of them I'll AI to a, a club calf bull a crossbred bull some of them will AI and try to raise Hereford calves out of but it's always it's always no matter what we've done and what we veered off to uh, we've always seemed like we find ourselves going back to the Hereford genetics I don't know if that's just in my blood or DNA or whatever you want to call it but um, you know and I used to also sell you know, as many as 200 head of club calves a year, mainly in the spring. And then I did some in the, in the fall and, and, um, you know, now we probably sell about 40 or as my kids got older and they started showing more livestock, we kind of backed off of the, of the selling. And I probably only sell about 40 or 50 head in the spring, uh, mainly just for Texas shows. But, uh, and those are some that we raise and then some I run out and buy and find and, and trade on as well. Now, you alluded to something we want to touch on there earlier, where your family started Battle of the Cattle. Tell us a little bit about how that got started and what, what your role is there with that show. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you the the short version, but I'll, I'll tell you where it really started. I was six years old, and you guys won't know the name, but there might be a listener or two out there. There was a man by the name of George Gerritsen, and uh, he was probably one of the very first guys that went to Nebraska, Kansas, South the Dakotas a long time ago and would go buy club calves and bring them back down here in this area, this where I live, and, and clip them up and, and resell them to, to kids all over the state. He started a, a club calf show here in, a, in my hometown, Fredericksburg, and put on a show. And I'll never forget that uh, – one day we were sitting at a cafe. My dad and I were sitting with him. He smoked cigarettes back then. Everybody smoked. But it was in the early 80s. And I was, like I said, I was six years old. And uh, he was like, uh, he turned to me and goes, Shane, you, you, you realize why I do these prospect shows? I said, no, sir. I, I, I you know, I, I imagine you have a good reason, but I don't know. He goes, it's to give every kid an opportunity to practice with their animal before they go to the major show. And uh, huh. that stuck with me from right there. And he said, he goes, it's my duty to make sure that that these kids that buy these calves from me, they have every opportunity to practice with these animals before they go to the major show, Houston, Santone, and uh, all those shows in Fort Worth. And, you know, at that time, I didn't, that always stuck with me, even though I was six years old. So moving forward, uh, Mills, our oldest one, when he first started showing, uh, we jumped in the truck. We hauled him everywhere because I wanted to get him as much ring exposure as I could. I wanted him to get in every situation. And 
figure out how he's going to react because I knew we had cattle for Louisville. I knew we had cattle for Fort Worth, Odessa, and those were going to be shows that were in a bigger venue, and I wanted to see how he did it. So after the first year of showing, I guess we were leaving one prospect show, and the boys were asleep in the back seat, and I asked my I turned to my wife, and I said, do you think our boys have met anybody? And she's like, what, what do you mean? And I said, uh, do you think they've met anybody at these shows? Because we were going to shows and we were dropping them off. We, we were unloading. We'd run through a classifying line, wham. They'd run in and do showmanship. And then we'd show in two rings and we'd load up and go go home. And it, it was about that fast. And I said, when I showed, these shows were a little bit longer. And there were some events to them. Like there was some stuff that actually had us interact. I said, my lifelong friends that I've met that I could call if I was broke down on the side of the road or needed a dollar, we were the ones that I met at these prospect shows and then became good friends and, and carried it on through the major shows. And so that day forward, we started writing down things and ideas that we wanted to implement in a show. And uh, we started it out with little clinics around here. I uh, rented uh, some fairgrounds around here and had had clinics, and then we we rented a, a facility 30 miles down the road, and we actually had a show. And my theory behind this was we were going to make it an event. And uh, my wife has a master's in education, and I've probably learned more from her about putting on one of these shows uh, from her than anybody because we wanted to create an event when you got there that. The kids were interactive. Every kid felt important. We do games. We do educational seminars. And then we changed up the, uh, I don't want to say the entire format of how we showed them, but we implemented a uh, a two-judge uh, two system and a one-ring uh, concept instead of the two, multiple rings. And I thought that two, my, my, my vision on that was two heads were better than one. And uh, so uh, we just started it there. And the first year we had it, we had six shows. We had three in the summer and three in the fall. We 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 just kind of threw it out there. And I and I told my wife, I said, I think people want something a little different. And and we made it super interactive. And my wife was great at this because I told her when we started this, I said, I don't care what we do, but when those people get there, I want them to be so entertained, be so into it that they. Who's judging? Who's going to win? Was irrelevant, irrelevant to them that they were just going to do it for the pure enjoyment of the show showing and bring it back to the basics and the core of it. And and that's what we did. And, man, we grew it. And every year since then, I mean, it's just grown and gotten bigger and bigger. So what, what was your first year? When did you start it? Ooh, that would have been, let's see, I have to do a little quick look here so i think we did it and started it in 2013 i believe was the very first year okay and uh like i said it's been six years strong we took a year off last year and and uh, to anybody that's ever put on a show there you just don't clap your hands and put on a show uh of any magnitude and, and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes but uh we started it when we, and here in Texas, you guys know just by watching showing steers, market steers. This, it, it, the, you know, people take it serious down here, and it, it's you know Fort Worth, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas State Fair. All our major shows are, are big deals. So 
uh, and and we do slick shear a lot of steers, and, and we changed up the format. We uh, we changed the whole exotic breeds from your typical Charlay Keys, Mains, or whatever. We broke it down, and we made a we made color breeds out of them. We made uh, six colored breeds out of them. We have a smoky division, yellow division, red division. We have a paint division. We have a black plus, and we have blacks, and then we have AOCs. So we actually have seven. Hey. Uh, divisions and we and we just changed it up and uh basically um what i did there was i watched at the major stock shows and and like at austin we have showed them in coloreds and blacks before so that that wasn't too new but to break them down into six seven breeds so what i did is i went through there and i wrote down colors and and kind of like the mains were typically reds and red and white cattle and, and the Simmentals were always paint cattle. So I went in there and I actually built a formula to break them down into six colored breeds. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I didn't know how it was going to work, but, but it turned out and it worked really well. A lot of people don't understand uh, the magnitude of the showing down there is, just so crazy. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, with Callis on a couple of weeks ago and some other folks, and it's just so in depth that, you know, you can come up with that six color format and, you know, still be just as competitive as, as you would if you were showing by, you know, classifying breeds. So mm-hmm. that, that to me is really interesting. And honestly, by doing it that way, you're probably uh, getting those cattle a little bit closer in type and kind because they aren't showing, um, you know, maybe the red and white cattle are, are showing with the right, you know, mm-hmm. genetically, they're probably a little bit closer than what they would be if they were showing by, you know, classifying breeds. So. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and, and that's what, that's what a lot of our judges after they judge that, uh, that was their big deal, you know, that how uniform the classes looked. I mean, it was a, it had gotten where I'd, I was watching at San Antonio, Houston, where the keys would come in there and we'd have a red one. We'd have a yellow one. We'd have a black one. And I mean, so it was easy for people to go, well, that judge, you know, judges get pigeonholed all the time. I think I feel like by the public and they're like, well, a smoky one won that class. So he just likes smoky cattle, which wasn't the case. I mean, you know, so. When we had nothing but smoky cattle out there in a class, you know, you took that away and, and they definitely, definitely became more uniform and, and it, it, it made into a, a, a better show. You know, they, the, the major stock shows has have adopted, uh, you know, a, a black division and a red division now. Uh, I think it's a step in um, in how the cattle are getting bred nowadays. You know, they're more crossed up uh, in the club mm-hmm. calf industry. You know the the fractions of the of the keys to Charlotte. You know we're just kind of mating cattle more on their look than their actual genetic breed, more or less, in terms of the show steer world. Uh, you know they're you know you guys up there in, in the Midwest and whatever you guys still have to have. You know I've judged the heifers at the Wisconsin State Fair and I've judged in uh, Hamburg, New York, which they've got a great big prospect show and they judge on they, they you know they do them by breed. They're still too i think in california they do it a little bit by color but you know you guys still have to have some papers and stuff to get them as a main or or a charlet or whatever there in the midwest uh, where we just do it on a three-man classifying system right yeah and the other thing I, I, I just real quick is that that hereford show in odessa 
is, I mean, if you go and win that deal, that's a, that's a big deal out there. Oh yeah. That, that, that one there, you know, as a kid growing up, that was always a, a, a dream of me and my brothers to go out there and win it. And we, we never, we, we were competitive. Um, and we never, never had the opportunity to, uh, to, to get up there and do as well as we'd want. And so, uh, when our kids started showing, you know, that was one that we kind of circled on a calendar and go, hey, we're going to make, you know, try to give a good run at that. We've had great success at it. Uh, Mills, uh, one year he had reserve champion Horn Herford there and then came back like his senior year and he had grand steer there. And then the next year, Mason went back and he had reserve grand steer there. So uh, that show has been good to us. And and, and that, that is a fun show to to walk in a barn. And see nothing but Hereford cattle there, and they're you know to know that you know everybody there bought, fed, raised, whatever the case may be, a Hereford calf to to make a run at that show, and it, it becomes highly competitive, and it's a lot of fun. I, I will say, you know, uh, I watched the other night on RFD TV the the Hereford breed or whatever, and probably the one thing that that still holds true to my heart in the Hereford breed is how the families uh come together in that particular breed there's a lot of there's a lot of uh i don't want to say older but seasoned uh breeders that are still in it and that have been in it for generations and now their kids are are picking it up and uh so i think that kind of makes that breed a little bit unique and uh the see though that's the show it gets it gets tougher the money gets better everything about it gets better and better each and every year and the people that put it on do an outstanding job right yeah I mean, speaking of putting putting it on and the people who do it, I don't think there's ever enough credit that gives to uh, a board or whoever, a group of people that put on shows. And, and you're one of those people. So I'd like for you to share with the listeners maybe what exactly it takes uh, to plan and, and conduct a show like you guys do. I mean, all those different breeds you're integrating and, well, I don't want to say breeds, but different mm-hmm. colors and and then also the games and the, your intentions are awesome. So I would like for you to share, you know, maybe what it takes to put on a livestock show and that preparation that's involved. And maybe if you have any stories that you've okay. encountered. Uh, yes. Uh, putting on a show, there is so much more to it than just worrying about who's judging it and who's going to win the thing. So it starts, you know, for us, it's it's when we started the very first one, we probably started six months out. And what you don't realize is all the things that you have to have in place that far in advance. So we don't have a go to venue that, that we have them at. So there we call venue places, work around their schedule. Uh, you know, say if we're going to have it in um, in Waco, Texas or Fort Worth, Texas, you know, uh, these are the dates we're looking at. You know, we'll talk to them. They'll email us all their dates that are booked up. This is what we need. We need it for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, we'll go back and forth with them several times. And then finally, when we do get a date, me and my wife will get up in a vehicle and we'll drive up there and we'll go meet with these people. And we'll visit with them. We'll tell them what we have, how many people we expect. We'll go over the concession stand, if they have a concession stand, if we need to get food trucks in there, where we can set up our, our supply trailers, where we can park our trailers, where there, where we can park the vehicles, where the fire zones are, 
if we have to have night security, where we can tie the cattle out. This is this is and an, an one thing people take for granted. And, and you guys listening out there show here's one of the biggest things that becomes one of the most costly things is is the dumpsters. So like at Fort Worth, if you can keep all the manure and hay in one dumpster and all the trash in other dumpsters like is, is labeled on there, it saves the show a lot of money. When they start mixing all that, they have to charge us by the pound or by the tonnage when they just uh, do that stuff. So we'll go over and we'll we'll make things like, OK, let's put all the manure and dumpsters in, in one row and let's do all this over here so we can keep all that separated. And then we go over uh, the setup of the ring. Uh, like at Fort Worth, the ring is air conditioned. When we want the AC on, how how long, what we want it set at, uh, then we'll go and uh, we got to get hotels for our judges, our classifiers, our showmanship judges, some of our volunteers, uh, ourselves. And so then, you know, we, we've done shows where we've done room blocks. So we've talked to the hotels and, and got with them. And, and if you mention our show, you know, they'll give you a little discounted rate. Um, so, so much goes involved in it. And then one thing that people really don't realize is, so when we order the awards for these things, the belt, we give a buckle for every, every breed champion, you know, the Herefords, Angus, all the American cattle, all the colored breeds. And then, then we, we have banners and stuff. So, uh, just to tell you a crazy story about this one time, we had a guy doesn't live too far from us. I'm not gonna mention any names, but he would just, he, he uh, sells trophies, buckles and stuff, just had that. He wanted our business, wanted our business. So, OK, you know what? We're going to go to you. My wife goes over, there, places the order with them. And it's a huge order. And when we're ordering stuff like this, it's not like we're just ordering five hundred dollars worth of product. Uh, you know, we are uh, we're ordering uh, in the tens of thousand dollars worth of products, because, I mean, by the time you order 17, 18 buckles, uh, so many uh, banners and whatever. Uh, for all the shows, I mean, it, you're looking at a lot of money. So uh, we, she placed this order. Everything's good. Did everything. Less than three weeks before my wife had called them, texted them, emailed them. It was like, hey, y'all got all that stuff in, got all that stuff in. They had lost the order three oh, no. weeks away from a show. You want to talk about scrambling. For, for that <laughs> whole week, we drove to places that could – do a mad rush on the buckles. It was more so for just that show we had coming up. We had a little bit of time on the other shows, so we we had a, we could make that work. But you want to talk about getting buckles, trophies, banners, ribbons. I mean, we were letting them do it all, and we had to go around. I, I can't tell you how many hours of every day for a week we spent on the phone and personally driving to places like, okay, you can get all these ribbons. You take it for granted. You order. So we have about 70 classes, anywhere from 50 to 70 classes. So that's, you need seven. So we'd get a hundred ribbons, hundred first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and so forth ribbons. So you take for granted, well, those ribbons don't just appear. So you got to order those things and what you want written on them and how you want them. All the rosettes for all the showmanship, all the buckles for everything, and then how you want it designed. I mean, so we spend a lot of time on the design. My wife does, and actually, my young, my two boys have have stepped up into that. They, my youngest one in, in particular, he really likes the design of things, and he'll come up with his with designs and help them. You know, they'll design it however you want to. So that's been fun to watch them be a part of that. But uh, you want to talk about nerve wracking? That that was pretty nerve wracking, and and then as well. 
we uh, followed up with some apparel at the shows. We have T-shirts, caps, hoodies, and stuff like that that we sell uh, for the shows. And, uh, you know, those we order way in advance. And, and, and you know, you never know what's going to sell. My wife has a pretty good knack for uh, uh, fashion and, and what works. And thank goodness I'm not in, uh, in charge of that because I, I'd, I'd have I'd look like a vote for Pedro on the front of the shirt. <laughs> Uh, but she does a good job in the caps and that, that stuff sells and that helps pay for the show. And, and another thing that we do, we, we seek out sponsorships and, uh, people, you know, our, we have a lot, we are very fortunate that we have a a lot of family members that go to our shows that are willing to give us some, some sponsorship. And, uh, I will tell you that putting on shows and, uh, uh, it, it takes a lot of money. We, we, you know, there it's not a profitable deal, and uh, uh, you know um, it takes so much money to run them because you're spending so much money on the venue, and then you also have to get insurance on the venue, and uh, and you'll go back and forth, and then the setup of the so like uh, we had our last one here in July, thirty miles down the road in Kerrville, Texas. So you know I had to go there, and 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 it's basically a, a blank piece of paper in the barn, and so how we want everything set up, so we'll draw it out. And the people I was working with, though, they were new people that we had never worked with them. That was a new staff, so I went there, and they had it pretty close. But then I got to go back there, and and we'll take the tape measuring out. Oh, we got to make these aisles wider. Oh, this you know we're we're expecting four hundred head. This we've only got it where it'll handle three fifty. We're gonna have to come up with something we're gonna do different. Uh, the ring isn't quite big enough. Um, you know, the, uh, the bedding in the ring there for a while, we were using green shavings, just like Louisville would. And that, that was an extra added cost. And I, and I'd worked with the green shavings company, um, and, uh, you know, work with them and help. I had to buy a truckload of them and sold them and did stuff. So they're, uh, also getting the backdrop, getting that set up, getting your photographer that you want at the show. One that that um, that yeah, that is good and take good pictures. Getting your photographer to put up all the stuff online, making sure your the the your volunteers the volunteers make or break a show. Oh, no doubt, without a doubt. And uh, and we have been truly blessed to have some of the greatest volunteers that we could ever ask for, and have jumped on and 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 could call them and uh, and we've leaned on them extensively. But when that show starts going, um, y- you know. For me, I get pulled away with all different things because my wife and I are the face of the show. And so the people that are that own the venue that we've rented the space from, if there's a problem like uh, at one show, we had a uh, right during the middle of classification. We had the transformer blow out on the highway on the phone, trying to find an electrician, an electrical company that would come out there. And finally, a guy come up to me and said, hey, I'm an electrician. I can go out there and I'll tell you exactly what you need. And so I said, hey, handle it. And then uh, this year we had one in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they they had a water uh, valve break or whatever, and they were working on it. And and, uh, so I had to go address that and they had to get that done quickly. It was right during when the show started. So we, you know, I had to go. So there's so many little things that you're. I feel like you're getting thrown at a curveball at and um, that that people take for granted. And, and no doubt when I go judge shows and I sit back there in the office before the show starts and just to see the, uh, you know, the makeup of, of how I look at shows totally different nowadays. And and when we go way and classify these steers, you know, to get the classifiers to, to come and do that and then to get people to record the weights, to record all the data on the on the weight cards and then also 
uh, we have to have a great staff up there at the tables or the office or whatever when people start entering and making sure all that information is correct and then someone to type it in on a computer and then to print it all and then to go back and make sure there are no mistakes and all that. Uh, it, it takes a village of people and, uh, you know, it, it is it is endless calls. And I always tell people this, if if you need six volunteers, you better call 12 <laughs> because because life happens. And, and, and uh, you know, somebody will have, you know, kid got sick, truck broke down, had a family member not doing well or, you know, so, something like that happens all the time. And uh, it's stuff you can't prevent. But for the most part, you know, I always tell, you know, they've been great and uh, they usually give us a good enough heads up if they can't make it. But uh, uh, and we when we try to help our volunteers out, you know, and and give them a little something. But it, definitely volunteers make or break you at the show. hundred percent. Yeah. So, Shane, you you judge shows, you put shows on. Uh, you, you just, you go to shows and, and exhibit, you know, with your family. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure that, I'm sure that you've been, um, in either direct fire or contact or, you know, uh, scrutiny when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. And so maybe give us your viewpoint on, uh, how you, how you see politics in the, in the show ring and, and even outside of the show ring. I'd be interested to hear that. Uh, my take on it is probably just a little bit different than your most than your average person because I've seen both inner workings of it. I consider it the white elephant of our industry, and uh, I, you know, I've got mixed emotions about it. But I'll be real honest with you: I think it goes on less than it's talked about. I judge shows, we put on shows. Uh, I think it's something that people have started to use as a crutch. Uh, I think people that maybe you can relate anybody to anybody. And uh, after putting on shows, uh, and I had I had a conversation, I judged a show out in Georgia, and I had a had a conversation with a colleague of mine, and uh, he had also put on shows here in Texas and has moved out there to Alabama and, and took a job out there. And we were talking about it, and he said, you know, when I first started putting on, got hired for the job, he goes, I thought the most enjoyable thing would be picking the judge, hiring the judge, and announcing the judge. And he goes, it became that that was the least favorite thing. And I said, I will tell you, as someone that puts on shows, um, that, that is one of the things that you, the general public really attacks you at. And I think in this industry, uh, in the show industry, if, if people would understand that the show is trying to get the best possible judge that they can, that they can get and 99.9% of the people that are judging livestock shows are credible people. And that's who we're going after. Uh, if they would just say, hey, Joe Blow's judging a show, sounds good, he'll do a good job, he or she will do a great job. But what happens in, in, in our industry, I, I feel, is the public starts really getting on, starts, you know, say Joe Blow's judging the uh, Oklahoma State Fair. And uh, they're like, well, so he went, Joe Blow went to college with so-and-so. And they, they start uh, connecting the dots way before the show even happened, whether they 100% know what's talking about or not. But if we will just stop that as the public, I think the public has 
can can make this political deal get better. If we would just say, hey, we respect that guy. We're going to leave him alone. He's a friend of ours. We'll still have casual conversation. We're not going to bring up the show. And as a show, somebody that's put on shows, um, when you announce the judges, man, I, that one's tough because people just start, you know, the, the scrutiny and the calling that you get. Oh, did you know so-and-so? I'll get a call and go, oh, man, that's not going to work. That guy sold that guy a cow in 1999. I'm like, what? Are you? I mean, so... Uh, you know, I, we and we and we caught a lot of grief over it, and 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 I and just like you guys, what y'all are doing here, I think this is awesome. We we took it a step further one time, and right, wrong, or indifferent, but I wanted to prove a point. And uh, we we had a show, and we publicly announced that we were not announcing the the, the judges for that show. And to take a step back, I'm not saying that every show should do that. I'm not saying it should ever be done again. I'm just saying the reason that I did it is because I told my wife before that that year we stepped into it. I said, you know what? I'd just like once to this not even announce the judges. That way I don't have to receive the phone calls and say, hey, this guy knows this guy. This guy went to college with this guy. This this girl is judging this show. She, you know, she's kin to these people and this, that. And I said, it just, you know, that as a show official, they get tired of hearing it. I get tired of hearing it. I know they've got to be get tired. And we're just at a prospect level. So we took it to that, to that. And, and uh, we didn't announce that one show and it went off great. And, and I'll tell you the, the, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I'll tell you what I, I thought that it proved. The people that really, really have to know who's judging and think that they need to, to connect the dots. And then there's people that, hey, we're going to show. We got to care for this show. This weekend is going to work out. Our family's going to work. We don't even care who's judging. So the, all those people showed up at that show. The results were not any different, whether I had announced the judges or not. There were two people that were very comparable and great judges. And what I wanted to make people understand is, we're making a mountain out of a mole here is we start using it as a, as a crutch and I judge enough shows and there's split second decisions that you make. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to get the better livestock up at the top. And maybe there's some of it that goes on, but I believe that it's really not even as big a deal as what we use it for. And I think we've gotten where we use it as a crutch. No different than when we turn on the news. Uh, you know, people want to say how, you know, want to reuse the racist card. But I, I think that either nothing's political or everything's political. You can make it, you can make your case either way. I believe that no one, after seeing the inner works of a show, judging the shows, I think it happens way less and it's given credit for. And I think as the public out there, I think if we could stop it and, and just, just respect the person that's judging and respect the show officials that got the judge, I, I think that it'll it'll help the industry and, and not hinder. And I think it'll make it grow. That's a that's an interesting take. I, I think it maybe can go. It, it's kind of a double edged sword. You know, if uh, you know, you, you got to look at it a couple different ways. And, and your take is honestly something that you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't take a look in the mirror and realize that you know, maybe it is on us and, and we're the guys crying wolf here since we've, we've gotten beat here. You know, we've seen this judge 
you know, do this and that. And, you know, maybe you don't like their kind of livestock, but kind of like you said, is you got to respect whoever is standing in the ring and regardless of how, it, what the outcome is, you know, it was their opinion on that, on that day. And, and you kind of have to just go along with it and, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. If you hate the way they judge the show. Okay. Well, if you find out they're judging another one, just don't take one to it. You know, yes. if you're, if you're that sore about it and then if they're doing, you know, if they did a good job, then you know that, you know, you can go and get a fair shake underneath that judge. And you know, I think that's what most people want. So. Yeah. And I'll, I'll also add to that too. One of my greatest mentors and, and friend is uh, Adam Nigel. And I'll give him a shout out here. He's, we always joke because he's not a pig guy, quote unquote, but he, he really is. He, he's around the livestock deal more than, than what he takes himself credit for. But anyways, he always says, you're the one taking your livestock to the judge to get evaluated. We do, we do this whole livestock deal for one guy's or girl's opinion on that one certain day. And that you, you know that when you purchase your livestock. Mm-hmm, 100%. So I, I get both sides. It is certainly a double-edged sword. Um, it's nice to know who the judge is as a feeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way you can you can feed those livestock the way maybe they, they prefer them. If you kind of see a style from the shows that they judge before. But as somebody who puts on a show, there is no doubt that that makes it challenging on your part. Because like you said, there's a lot of people who try to connect those dots. But there's more that just take their cattle, mm-hmm. sheep go hog to that show just to get it evaluated period you know and I, I think it's contagious a little bit you know uh obviously there there's people that that show livestock uh, no matter if it's goats cattle or pigs or whatever that 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 are more competitive than others and, and you know we all have different reasons for why we do it in a, on a competitive scale but if if the people that are at the top of these games will kind of set the example and just say, you know what, it wasn't our day, you know. Yeah. And and say that at the ring, and you know, hey, we gave it everything we got, and and leave it at that instead of saying, golly, that's old so and so, and they ten years ago they flushed a cow and bought an embryo, and and start connecting the dots right there, and then you have people overhearing that, and then that leads to one person talking to another person, and so I think as 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 our people that are at the pinnacle of our industry, if they will start leading by example, um, you know, I, I think we can change it for the better. I, I will tell you, I, I think, I think we've got great livestock judges out there and, and, and I judge collegiately and I judge a lot in 4 HFA and, and the kids coming up and the coaches now, it, it's at a whole different game now than, than it was, you know, 20 years ago in, in terms of judging. And I, and I will add something and, and I don't know, I always I think a lot differently than a lot of people, and I've always thought this in, in the in the show industry as far as a judge. Okay, however you want to use your measuring tool tool or stick on whether you're qualified to judge a show. You know, I don't I don't think you need to you don't have to judge collegiately. I don't I think you just have I think it just it helps. It doesn't hurt. But I always thought as an industry. If as a show industry, if we could figure out some way to um, take, for instance, like when you want to become an AI technician, embryology technician, you you take a short course in learning how to 
the flush a cow, AI a cow, preg check a cow, and then you get a certification. I always thought in our industry, and, and as great as it is, and as competitive as it is, and it gets more and more competitive each and every every day of the week and, and on all species level, if a, a person that is well-seasoned, that has been in this industry their entire life, would start some kind of short course. I'm not telling you how to place four animals. I'm not telling you how to place 10 animals, but how... The situations, I can tell you, I've judged a lot of shows and I've, I've been throwing a lot of different curveballs while I've judged shows. And I thought, and how do you handle that? And uh, maybe have a short course, three day course, week long course, wherever. And you actually go to this course and you get certified and, and it gives you a little more credibility. I'm not teaching you how to place the animals. I'm teaching you how to conduct yourself as a judge. Before the show, when you get that phone call and said, hey, I want you to to uh, to judge the the Colorado State Fair and we're not going to announce you until such and such day. So, you know, you know, like so when the Colorado State Fair called me and they said, hey, you're judge, you know, we would like you to get judge Colorado State Fair. We're not going to announce you to such and such day. I didn't even tell my family. I said, I've got a state fair up north to judge uh, on this weekend. And I didn't even tell them where it was. And I never yeah. told anybody about it. So I honored what they wanted. And I understand why they want it because they don't want, you know, they don't want to start catching the scrutiny. But if you could if you could start coaching on people and then even after they announce it, I think as a judge, you have to take a step back a little bit. Don't call your 10 best friends. Go, hey, I'm judging this show here. You know, hey, I can't wait to see you. You know, bring this, bring, you know, whatever the case may be. I think there's ways that the judges, we can teach the young people and, and uh anybody really there's things that you know i go over every show that i've judged with like a big show like that and we've drawn up our own contract and i've gotten contracts from the national western and and many state fairs i've judged and i've gone through them and we've created our own contract i reread through that contract because i think it's a good reminder of of where you need to be mentally and 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 it's and it's easy to get caught up in that because you kind of you you want to you want you're proud that you're getting to judge something but in the same spec, you got to take a step back and, and you know, hey, I'm going to honor the show. I'm going to honor what I'm doing. And and we're not going to talk about it a lot. You're still my friend. And we'll talk about other things, but we're not going to bring up anything about the show. And then uh, as well. But I think there could there could be a short course. I, I've, I've, been, I've judged a show and it's kind of happens a little bit more on the lower level. I was waiting for a class one time. I was just kind of leaned up for the fence. And it was one of those shows that had multiple rings. And I was just leaning back on the fence, and uh, this gentleman come up to me. He goes, hey, I just want you to know there's talk around this show that you're going to use so-and-so. And I said, sir, I don't, I don't even know who that is. And he's like, well, I'm just letting you know, I'm a, you know I, I don't want that to happen. And I said, sir, you know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so I said, you know what? I shook his hand. I said, you know, we need to. Uh, we don't need to be having this conversation and I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know who the guy was, but as a judge, how do you handle that, the situation? You know, I think there's, there's things that you get thrown at, you know, that, that when I walked away from him, he kind of caught, it caught me off guard hundred percent. And I, and I guarantee you people that have judged shows have been, been hit up. And, and just like the simple fact of, uh, you know, our shows, we try to do things a little bit different. We try to get the judges to stay at a hotel that maybe not all the, it's a popular hotel with all the shows. That way, when they go down to the lobby, get a cup of coffee in the morning, half the show's not in the lobby. You know, we just take little steps that kind of help ensure the integrity and kind of keep the judge out of harm's way, if you will, because 
you, you know, whether you you see somebody and uh, I always like the venues. And, and this is something you would never think about this if you didn't judge or you didn't put on a show. I like the venues that have their own separate official restroom where the judges can go in there and not have to walk through a crowd of people and be in the restroom with with several. I know as corny as that may sound, but as a judge, you know, I don't I don't want to interact with anybody really while I'm in that judge mode, you know, so. Yeah. And typically you ask the, the people who run it like, hey, do I need somebody to come with me or is this a big deal? You know, because sometimes they're like, yeah, just go. There's Porter John right there or. Yeah, hey, yes, we have two people that need to go with you yeah. and they'll escort you. Uh, I think, you, you know, you got to take all the measures you can just to make it as fair for everybody as possible. And and that stuff that you've shared, maybe people don't really mm-hmm. think about. So hopefully those listening, uh, we can chime in on some of that. So, hey, we're going to move right into our topic we call Topics from a Hat. Brought to you by Fierce Threads. The only hat, screen printing, and embroidery we use comes from Fierce Threads. It is your number one source for high-quality screen printing and embroidery. Put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel line today with Fierce Threads. Folks, jump on our online store, take your selfie, and get that free year subscription to the Patreon. So we had uh, a topic that we actually we brought out uh, again. We had it on an earlier episode, but we want to get your thoughts on this topic. It's kind of in-depth and it's loaded, uh, but it comes from an anonymous listener, and they say... Uh, to quote them, you see a lot of breeds like Key Maine, Shorthorn Plus, etc. of those cattle named Supreme and top fives at Expos and, jack- and Jackpots. These breeds hold little relevance in the beef industry and don't necessarily hold a place in terms of seed stock for commercial producers. Why not or why should they be in contention for Best Animal at the Show if they're no more likely or no in- influence of the industry other than maybe raising a show steer? And, and as it enters the food chain? Uh, that That's an interesting question. And, and I think uh, the breed associations probably struggle with that a little bit. But here's how I view showing livestock. And I don't know if this will help answer that question for that for that caller or whatever. But so way before we were born, way before when they first started lo- showing livestock, I think you need to take it back to why we started showing livestock. Showing livestock is the pinnacle of the cattle industry, the goat industry, that's what we set our standards at. So when you go to the National Western and you see all the people that are there looking at the bulls in, on display, looking at the bulls that get shown at the show, and um, whether they may never ever raise a show animal, but they are they are looking at that animal and that gives them a, a standard to set their cow herd after, you know, the, the shorthorn plus the keys or, or whatever you're talking about there. Uh, we use them. Uh, maybe they do have unique traits that, that need to be used in terms of that show where they could be uh, evolved into that show. But I think that that's that hybrid vigor that, that, you know, maybe that there's somebody there at that show commercially that goes, Hey, I can, uh, I want phenotypically, I want my animal to look like that and kind of give you a design to look like that the the show industry uh i take it back to national western kansas city louisville those are great places where you see a lot of people that 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 just raise livestock whether it be sheep goats pigs or whatever and they come and watch the show and they really don't raise any show animals but they they also can purchase semen on these animals as well so i think just that hybrid vigor on those breeds those smaller breeds 
can sometimes help jumpstart into, you can implement those into a purebred operation and help your operation. They're not necessarily, you're not going to raise, you're not going to want necessarily a, a herd of 150 head of shorthorn plus uh, cows, but maybe that one particular animal could help catapult you into maybe something a little quicker that you could be in and your keys and, and such forth. But they, in if you look back in history, the, the keys and stuff like that, when we used to have full bloods, they did, they changed the industry, you know, when we wanted them tall and we wanted them better looking and stuff. So I think they'll always have a little bit of a part because there is that history that ties them back to, you know, where they originated from. And I, th- I think they still need to be a part of the, of the show industry. Right. And, and the other thing is, too, is when it comes to the actual show ring part, you know, they are there at the show. And, and this is kind of what I said, you know, last time when we we did this is, you know, those animals show up to the show. So there's no reason they can't be in contention. Uh, and they should mm-hmm. be in contention because if they're the best animal there, regardless of breed, that's where they need exactly. to fit in. I mean, I've seen lots of minor breeds win shows and get selected in top fives and stuff like that. Now I understand uh, where the question's coming from because uh, in the commercial sector is a key main bull, just really all that relevant or a key main cow base, really uh, what guys want out there uh, in a rocky, hilly ranch setting, probably not. But I don't think those guys are going to want to, you know, have those cattle there anyway. So why not have them, you know, give those breeds a, a place you know, in the industry somewhere. Uh, and if the show ring is the place for it, then by all means. I agree. No folks, that's, uh, that's the kind of the stuff we always want to talk about, bring those topics back in. It may be controversial, but, uh, we appreciate Shane's, uh, thoughts there. Make sure you keep those pouring in. We're starting to get to the bottom of the barrel in terms of, of some of our topics. So make them creative, make them good. Even if you've sent in a topic before, send in another one. Why not? Pardon the interruption, but uh, do you have a diesel truck? If you do, listen up. Check out Fleece Performance. They have the best and most complete lineup of race-proven products for your truck. Everything from their famous drop-in Cheetah turbochargers for Cummins Duramax and Power Stroke to injection pumps, lift pumps, and cylinder heads. Ladies and gentlemen, visit them at fleeceperformance.com. That's F-L-E-E-C-E performance.com. Or at their new service and manufacturing facility in Pittsburgh, Indiana, just west of Indy on I-74. And I passed it. It's amazing. It's huge. Back to the show. So we want to jump back in, uh, Shane, to a question we had earlier, or maybe one we, we want to want to project. So, you know, you said you had a, a, some older boys that are maybe uh, seniors or a little older in their show career. I want you to kind of bring out what advice you would give to parents that want to raise their kids in the show stock industry, but are afraid of burning them out. Maybe how did you take your boys through the, through the show stock industry? Well, I think that's a, that's an outstanding question. And, um, you know, growing up in it and then, you know, I think anybody that's in, uh, related to the show industry, I think as soon as you have kids, you want to get them as actively involved in it and you, you want to, pursue that passion that you have for the industry. So it's it's really easy as a parent because you want the very best for your kid. It's so easy to get caught up in, God, we got to win. We got to get the best animal. We've got to get to these shows. And, you know, you put a lot of undue pressure on yourself. And, and 
And then it it, you, it falls over to on your kid and, and then it becomes more of a burden than an enjoyment. But it, I think as a parent, we have to take a step back and realize that we got into this for the pure enjoyment of showing livestock, the, the enjoyment of raising them, uh, whether you have a cow-calf operation or you just buy them from somebody and just the, the changes that they go through. I always tell people that with our family, the weekends that we all get to spend at home uh, and then go out there as a family, wash, blow, set up, lead, feed, and just care for our animals, those are some of the most interactive times and best memories that our family have. And then going to the shows, and I always you know, always, my dad always told me this, you know, uh, you know, expect, you know, the best, but prepare for the worst. And, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And I, and I think if you just take a step back and never lose sight of, of what the things are important to you and your family, because, I mean, your kids are going to, see how you act at those shows they're going to see how you conduct yourselves and and that that's going to have a uh, effect on them how the, how they grow up and how they act so you want to, to do that at the end of the day I, I told someone that used to buy cattle from me years ago and you know i, I felt like he had to put was just he was one of those guys that was just high intense you know the, you know if we didn't do good it was the end of the world and i said you know what so, so at this show, you're third instead of first. I go, at the end of the day, how did that change your life? <laughs> it didn't. I said, you're still going to get up Monday morning and go to work, right? He goes, yeah. I said, it's not the end of the world. Uh, no one died. Uh, it, it's okay. And uh, so I think we need to just keep it all in perspective. And, 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 and we're all guilty of it because I don't care who you are. When you have your kid out there, you want them to do the best and it doesn't matter if they're playing football they're playing golf or whatever you want them to do the best that's just that's just mother nature that's human nature uh that's your parent but it i, I do also as someone that's judged shows and put on shows and and i kind of coach people through this especially the shows we put on because I'll, I'll see people get discouraged their kid didn't do as well as they thought they did and i say hey, you know what it's not that judge does not have a personal vendetta against you or your kid that's just where they, they lined up today. And don't take it to heart. Learn from it. Are there things that you can do that, that maybe, you know, maybe the calf didn't act good or the goat didn't show pro properly or maybe it didn't eat or drink or, you know, there are things that you, you can kind of just reflect on that kind of take it away from, hey, you know, it's it's not the end of the world that we were second today instead of first or we didn't get reserved and kind of got left standing or, or whatever. So I think if you just bring it all back, and that's what I have a lot of friends that have young kids, especially in the state of Texas, that are showing. And, and I tell them all the time because I, I wish that there would have been someone to help remind me that my dad was really good about always coming over. And I don't live that far from my parents. And he would always come over and he's like, hey, you know, I know you want to do good. And I know you want your boys to do good. But, he goes, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you want it to be a good experience and, and you want them to do well. And, and I will tell you reflecting back on their show careers sometimes the the best we did was when we kind of didn't think we had a shot you know and just all right, the right. all the stars and line and and the moon lined up and our animal just got better and better and and you know some of the times we we 
got that extra intensity about us and got nerved up. And that's the time we, we were let down the most. So I think if you'll just kind of keep it all in perspective and and at the end of the day, just remember why you're doing this. You're, you're doing it to, to be a part of agriculture, to 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 raise a family and, and to do things as a family, because, you know, our boys, they they've they've played football, they played baseball, they played golf. And we watched that from the sidelines. And yep. so when we show, we do that as a family, you know, so I, I, uh, that that's the beautiful thing about the, the show industry. You get to really interact with your kids. You're, you're there with them. Uh, we'd go watch Mills played a lot of golf and he and he and he played in other states as well and went on collegiately to play golf. And we would go to where his tournament was, but we stayed in a different hotel room. Uh, we would watch him. Our interaction with him was very small. You know, hi, how's it going? You know, whatever. We go to a show. We eat breakfast together. We go out to the barn together. We dine together. We go to the hotel together. That interaction with your family is priceless. And I think if you'll remember that as people showing, especially you people that have younger kids, and keep it in perspective. And I promise you, if you stay after it, your day will come, and that will make it all worth doing it. Yep. So, so Shane, you talked about your dad, uh, kind of putting you in check, you know, a couple of times when your, your kids first started showing. And so I would assume that he's kind of been a big mentor for you growing up, but you know, what were some of the other mentors and influencers that you had to, to kind of help steer you down the path in the show stock business? Yeah, my dad was a huge part. Uh, he always, he, he was really good. He was intense, you know, uh, but he always, you know, made us learn a lesson about it. Uh, as I got older in life, I, I, I would have to, from my livestock judging background, I would have to give our, our county agent, Mr. Dury Menzies, credit for that. He really hauled, hauled me and my brother around uh, Lydell and other kids that, that judged and really taught us how to judge livestock and how to see them and, and uh, talk reasons. And, and I'm forever grateful for him, the time that he took. And, and he had a a daughter that was older, and then his uh, youngest son was just a year below me. So uh, going out with him, and then as I as I got done with college and started working uh, at places and and learning more about quote unquote the club calf industry and the selling and the getting them ready and everything, I would say the two people that probably were the most influential on me as far as learning a lot about it was I worked for Bill Cody. Uh, he's originally from Wisconsin. He lives in Texas now. I learned a lot from him. He was he was very determined and and had a great work ethic. And I learned a lot about the industry from from him. And then I went and worked for uh, Mark Copas. Uh, he's originally from Oklahoma, and then um then and uh, then worked for him when he lived in Brownwood, Texas. And I learned a lot from both those guys, and 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 I always learned a lot. I always thought Mark was really good. He he took me under his wing and and uh, he didn't mind sitting down and, and telling me, hey, you know, situations and, you know, this is why we did this or this is why we didn't do this. And and I learned a lot about clipping and, and trimming feed and, and just doing stuff through those guys. And and uh, and I wouldn't be here today if, if I if I wouldn't had those people in my life to uh help better me as a person and learn. And, and they, they were very gracious in, in teaching me the things that they knew. There's always that uh, 
few people I can attest my time to, and you, it, you always got to take a step back and, and remember where you come from, and that always helps me uh, to go where I'm going. So you mentioned uh, briefly there about uh, trimming feet. Now, you told us before when we were getting started here that you trim about 4,000, trim head, trim feet and dehorn cattle about 4,000 head a year. Yeah, I, I trim about, trim feet on about 2,000 head a year, and I dehorn about 2,000 head a year, and yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow. So how'd you get into all that? Just, just by your mentors or? Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I did a, I did a little deal on uh show circuit had sent an email over to this little questionnaire on hoof trimming and stuff. And one of the questions on that was, you know, when did you start and uh, how long have you been doing it? And, and we were going over those, those uh, questions. And um, my wife was like, when did you start? So uh, I started when I was a freshman in high school, when I was 14 years old, my, my dad, trim feet on all our show steers, all the sail bulls. And, and mind you, when I say we got sail bulls ready, we would get about 50 head of sail bulls that were probably anywhere from a, a 16 months old to two year olds ready for a sail in the fall and in the spring. So we had throughout a course of year, we had 100 head of bulls come through our place. And then we had our show steers. And then my dad trim feet on all the local cattle that were around here as far as for the 4-H and FFA kids. And then would take on some custom foot trimming as well. He didn't travel out, but he, but he didn't. So I learned from him and uh, he's are going into my freshman year. He was going to have arm surgery done, uh, carpal tunnel syndrome and uh, his arms were bothering him really bad. And, um, and so it's not like it is now, and it's not a quick return as far as uh, healing up from it. So he was going to be in a sling for quite some time. And he just came up to me and he's like, today you're learning how to trim feet. I said, OK. He goes, you've watched me, you've helped me, but we're going to learn. And the crazy thing about how I learned to trim feet when I was 14 years old, mind you, my dad was left handed or is left handed. And so we had a left handed table. I learned how to trim feet left handed. And I trimmed feet probably for three to four, three years, three years. I trimmed feet with my left hand. And I always thought, I was like, man, this is, this, and, I, and I didn't mess anything up to my knowledge. And I was probably trimming at the age of 14 and 15. I was probably trimming probably close to 250 head a year of sail bulls and show cattle. And then, you know, once I started trimming feet, all the local people would bring them. And then we had touching counties. They would bring them over and I'd trim feet. We had a guy come by one day that uh that had a hoof table and he traveled around and uh we had so many bulls to trim feet for and i was behind i was in school and and trying to do this work and my dad had taken on more than than lydell and i could handle and and i i called him and i asked him I said hey if you're ever in the area i said i need some help i said i can't get all these my lydell and i can't get all these bulls feet trim so he comes and he brings his table and he sets it up and he goes i tell you what um i'll do the fronts you do the backs and we'll roll on so I grabbed the hoof deal and I said, hey, what's wrong with your table? He goes, what do you mean? I go, it's facing the wrong way. He goes, <laughs> he goes well, let me look at yours. And he goes, yours is facing the wrong way. And so we rolled the first one over and I grabbed the grinder with my right hand and started trimming feet. And I was like, holy smoke, this is a lot better. And uh, he goes, you've been trimming feet left-handed on a left-handed table. And so then I started doing them right-handed and he showed me that we could switch our table around and we got a welder out and we switched our table around and started doing them right-handed. But uh, I started when I was 14 years old and, and have done hoof trimming and then bought a, uh, probably in my early twenties, bought a, uh, bought a hoof table. Uh, Kirk Sturwalt's brother-in-law actually built it for me and I bought one of those and then would travel around and, and start trimming feet. And then 
you know, started started dehorning here uh, for the public. Uh, oh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago. But I've always known, always knew how to do it. Like I said, early in my, in my kid growing up, I, I ran around with a vet all the time there at the ranch at, at the LBJ Park and uh, learned a lot of things and always knew how. But uh, there was a guy by the name of Bob Ransom that, that did a lot of cosmetically dehorning on, on show steers and uh, his back went out and he always said, he goes, I, I don't mind passing the torch over to you if you're willing on take on the work. And and so we just kind of, you know, went from there and learned learned a lot of things about how to do, you know, more in a day and, and the things that to, to do that make it a little bit better. But uh I've been trimming feet for a, you know since I was fourteen and 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 knew how to dehorn cattle for quite some time. So uh, that's crazy, you know. Get to see a lot of livestock. Get to go to a lot of places. A lot of people bring them here. So got to get to meet a lot of interesting people. So I'm thankful that I get to do that. It is it is very labor intensive. I always uh, wonder, uh, you know. There's a lot of people still that that still do it to some some degree, but always wonder, you know, what young person is going to pick up that torch because you know, I, I don't see myself when I'm 80 years old still doing this, but uh, right. yeah, well, considering that an arm surgery and a bad back got you started, I can yeah. see how it may be a little bit intensive on the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know what's going to happen to me eventually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an art form to get those those show steers dehorned right, because if you mess it up, I mean, A, you don't have a very happy customer and B, you get a mm-hmm. show steer with an ugly head and, you know. Sometimes a little bit of a decision factor if you're talking about picking a, a champion in reserve from a breed. If one's got a better looking head, you know, that's probably a little something you want to. <laughs> 100%. We're going to interrupt you one more time, but this time there is huge announcements. I feel like we say that a lot, but I'm just overwhelmed with what we're going to tell you right now. We have a guest coming the end of this month that you may have heard of before. Bucket list. Um, another female guest. She's on our dream list. We have a list of people that we mm. want to get a hold of. There's three but on this, this list. There's three. There's a three on this dream list. Folks, Temple Grandin is going to be on our show. We're going to record with her on September 30th. Obviously, we're going to get her out af- shortly after that. If you don't know this already, she will be in Columbus uh, the 29th and the 30th, I believe. Uh, speaking at some of her events. We're going to meet her in person September 30th and record a Stock Talk episode with Temple Grandin. That's right, Temple Grandin. You may not be as excited as I am, but she is actually one of my role models within the industry. Uh, For those of you who don't know, she has autism. There was a movie made about her. She's written uh, many books, and she has developed many different um, slaughterhouse facilities that make it very, very low stress on the animals an advocate for our industry, and also an advocate for animal handling. I am overly pumped to get her on this show. I've been messaging her, got a call with her uh, this week. So stay tuned for that interview. Temple Grandin will be on Stock Talk. Hey, you guys heard it. Send us your questions. If you have something that you want us to ask Temple Grandin, and we think it's a value, we will ask it. Send us. We want audience participation with this one. This is gigantic, monumental. And if you don't know who Temple Grandin is, go watch the movie, The Woman Who Thinks Like a Cow. You will learn a lot. That is the documentary about Temple Grandin's life. Please send in your questions. We want this to be awesome. 
without further ado, let's get back to it. So we're going to jump into another segment. Uh, this segment is Social Smash, and it's brought to you by Brad Howell Ford. If you are in a fender bender and happen to smash your vehicle, well, how about you just go visit Brad Howell Ford in Kokomo, Indiana? It is time to upgrade to a new truck to cruise to the next show. Brad Howell Ford is, has award-winning customer service that will lead you in the right direction on your next vehicle purchase. We're really pumped to have Brad Howell uh Second week in a row, third week in a row. Now that we've had Brad Howell as our, uh, yeah, social smash sponsor. So thanks to those guys. So uh, really, the reason that we do this is because it was more of a running joke between Trevor and I a long time ago. That you know when we first started this, boy, there's just a lot of annoying stuff you see on social media. It wouldn't it be fun to just kind of bring out some of that? You know, what's our pet peeves and and maybe some things that we see online and stuff. So we want to kind of give everybody a chance to talk about some of that stuff. So Shane, uh, you know, you're on Facebook, uh, you know, I've seen some of your stuff and, and so maybe you probably have some pet peeves too on social media. So spill the beans. What do you got for us? Oh, social media. You ask my kids. I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, being an older, you know, here I am, give you my age, 45 years old. I don't know if, uh, if I'm, you know, into the new technology, like, like the younger generation or like yourselves there, but, uh, I've learned to adapt, uh, as far as pet peeves, uh, for the, uh, for Facebook or, you know, that's all I have. I don't have Twitter, Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. But, um, I, I do think that, um, just to, 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 you know, I guess my biggest pet peeve would be just to, make awareness of the people your your show animals that you're going to show maybe don't don't take a picture of them and put them out there on on social media uh i think you just set yourself up there for that that's kind of one of my pet peeves i like leading up to judging a show i'll make it a point to kind of not look at that the social media because i I don't want to run across maybe a a picture of an animal that i may be judging not that that's really going to influence me but i just don't want that in the back of my mind i don't want that to be my impression of that animal and and i think people that that do that i I think that's more of a hindrance than it is a helpful full thing for you so that that's probably my biggest pet peeve uh, on social media. I think social media is great at getting the word out. Obviously, we use it a lot for for our shows to, to for advertisement. And I, th- I think there's a lot of good things about it. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, keep it. If, if there's, you know, having two boys grow up now and, and you get the young people need to be real cautious of what they put out there because, you know, nowadays uh, uh, when you're, when you apply for a job, it's pretty simple to to pull up any social media and, and learn a lot about the person that, that you're looking into hire. And so you need to be real cautious of what you put out there and make sure it's well thought out and maybe just not fly off the seat of your pants and, and say something that you, you may regret later. Uh, I'm not saying not take a stand when, the, when you need to take a stand, but, uh, you know, those, those are probably my two pet peeves. I, I sometimes see on there, somebody gets on a rant and they're kind of a younger kid. And I'm like, man, I, I hope that doesn't hinder them later in life or come back to haunt them, you know? So I think if, if, you know, those two things, and like I said, you know, livestock in general, leading up to a show, I don't, I don't think that's, you know, 
place to, to post a picture now selling calves and stuff or, or livestock, you know, and posting pictures like that. I think that's great. But uh, those are those are kind of my pet peeves with social media, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we've heard a couple of times before that people kind of hide behind that keyboard and they forget. I mean, last week we just heard uh, that, you know, people hide behind that keyboard and they don't realize that there's actually a person on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to be careful about what you put on there. And social media can be good in itself. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of times we just need to remind ourselves like, hey, let's just not air the dirty laundry and and be a little bit more uh, mindful, like you said, mm-hmm. of what we put out there. So uh, that's I, I totally agree. That's that's something that we all need to keep thinking about. But uh, we got just a, a few more questions here. One that I was kind of uh, looking forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on. You judge all over the country and do it at a high level. Uh, what are some of those things that uh, you love to do or maybe some highlights of your judging career? And on the opposite end of things, what kind of keeps you up at night uh, on that same topic? Um, I I really enjoy judging and, um, I I enjoy being able to, I think judging is, is, is a place where, especially if you're judging a junior show for the, those exhibitors to showcase what they've done all year long or, or months leading up to that show, whether it be a prospect show or a major stock show or a state show or whatever it may be. And I, and I think it's, it's really neat. I, I like to try to be as interactive with the, the exhibitors as, as I possibly can be and still in a timely manner. So then join the pure enjoyment of, of watching those kiddos be able to do good. And, and even, and, and, and also, you know, ones that, that maybe, uh, uh, haven't, you know, maybe didn't do as good as they, they did, but they still ought to be proud of, of what they've accomplished. They come out there, they showed, they got in competition and I just I really enjoy the whole concept of of the show industry from the simple fact that those kiddos and 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 those parents and everything have worked together to get to accomplish that. And I think they need to be well rewarded, whether they get the grand champion or not. But I think that as a judge, you need to take that time and and reward them with with positive uh, compliments um, in terms of uh, of how they did. I, I, I'll tell you. I, Taking a step back, uh, when I when I read over all the contracts I get when I judge a show, there was one that I got, and I can't remember what show it was from, that uh, it said on there, as a judge, you are also a teacher. And, and I think that I, that kind of hit close to home because you're like, you know, yeah, you are the teacher, you know, yeah, you know, give positive feedback for those for those exhibitors and those parents to take back. And something they can build on, and and I think sometimes as as a as a judge, you know, we forget that hey, we're not only just lining them up and placing them. Hey, we're that day we're the professor. We're 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 teaching these kids uh, uh, how they could have got better, things they could improve on, but also the the things that they've done right. So uh, I think that's that's very important. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely, that's. That's something that, you know, we all probably need to take back and just look. That's one thing I love when I judge shows is the thing that I love the most is when the family, when I don't even care if it's one family, one little kid comes up to me and said, hey, thanks. I didn't realize that this is something that I got to get better at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you can have that moment after a show, I think that makes, you know, however long it takes to do a show that day much more rewarding. So 
this is a question I love asking this question and, and just in general uh, about, you know, the what keeps you up at night? You know, what what drives you to keep up and, and just, you know, making things better, things that need to change or things that just eat at you or, or make you hungry. So I'd, I'd love to hear that from you. Uh, my, and my wife will tell you that that a lot of my ideas have, have just created more work for her. But I, I always I look at things a little differently and I'm always thinking how we could do things better. And probably the one thing that really keeps me up at night and, and the thing that I like the most about the show industry is I like that diamond in the rough. I like finding that animal that maybe a few people overpassed, uh, looked over, um, maybe that no one saw that was going to feed good. And then everything went accordingly and then sneaking up on them and that cat, that animal having success in the show ring. Uh, that, that really is neat to me that that's always been, cause I've always kind of been that guy that, you know, I maybe didn't buy the most expensive one and, and we grew up and we had to be, you know, have a budget about it. And today, you know, my dad kind of always taught that, you know, Hey, we need to look a little further down the, down the line here and see if we've got one that's maybe got a little more potential that will fit our program a little better. So with the kids growing up, I've always kind of kept that mentality. I was like, yeah, that one's no doubt the best one today, but let's, let's look at what, what, you know, will fit our feeding program a little bit better. And uh, one that, you know, we might be able to sneak up on them there at the end and, and uh, have, have some success that, that right there, that's what keeps me up at night. I, I, I really, that that's the fun enjoyment part of it. And, uh, um, you know, I've never, you know, my dad probably taught me that and, and then just keeping, keeping that in mind. So that, that's, that's the fun part of it. I, I really like the people, you know, I think, I think, you know, you guys too, the, the, you know, as the show industry, the, the people are uh, good core people that are agriculture based, that, that are good people for the most part in this industry. And, and I think that's what always has made this industry really good. Right. So here, here's one that's maybe just a little bit more um, intriguing from a from a show person's perspective, uh, and and maybe some of these some of these guys that have been out listening to our episodes might find this an interesting question or take because uh, I feel like it's talked about quite a bit in inner circles, but maybe not brought out to the public. But uh, Shane, what would you change uh, maybe about the way cattle are exhibited and sold in today's world? Um, there's no doubt that the online sales have changed the way that cattle are marketed or livestock is marketed. Um, when it first came out, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I did not think that it was, it was going to take off like it did. I just, I just, uh, did not see that it coming like it is. And, and I think it's a great tool to market your livestock. Without a doubt, you can reach so many more people and people can see things a, a lot quicker. Uh, as far as, as um, you know, how cattle are being exhibited, I don't know if I'd change anything how cattle are exhibited. I, I think cattle are exhibited really well nowadays. I mean, I, I, like I said, in our shows, we, we changed it a little bit in terms of from the breed to the to the color format. I think if people just take a step back and look at the shows and see how they can make them better. Each and every time, that's kind of that's kind of how we took it with Battle of Cattle. We just we just kind of took it a step back and said, "How can we make these shows better?" And 
how it's going. And you guys touched on it here in that one question where, you know, where do the keys, the, the shorthorn pluses, where do they fall? I don't know. I don't know maybe if they fall anywhere anymore where the, the club calf industry has, we've just bred the best to the best to get the best. And we've haven't worried about what, what breed we've gotten. So I think we need to adapt to that in terms of maybe color format or maybe the ways that they, you know, cause I, you know, I've judged a lot of heifer shows and it's really hard to tell the difference sometimes between a Lemmy, a Maine, a Key, a Semi. I mean, you get those four breeds out there, and they're very, very similar in, in type yeah. and kind. So I think we need to figure out a way that, that that we can break those down that is still beneficial to the breeds, to the to the show industry, and, and stuff like that. So, And I, I will say this. Um, I do think that um, – Every show is unique in its own way. And and I I think a little bit of the misconception sometimes that when we started our shows, I never I never said that every show needed to be like our show. I just wanted to create a different atmosphere and some different things about I think Denver, how they do theirs, especially in the market steer with the three judge system, I think that show sets it apart from all the rest of them and makes it unique. I think how other shows so I think there's gotta be some uniqueness in those shows. And as long as they'll start keep, you know, dissecting, you know, after every show of ours, my wife and I, and even the boys, as they've gotten older, we'll sit down and we'll think, okay, we did this. Did that work really well? If it did, okay, let's do it again. Did this not work really well? Why didn't it work really well? Okay, let's change this. And, and we'll always keep trying to make it better and better. Yeah, there's no doubt. If we're not making progress, then we're really not doing our job as stockmen just to keep them better and better. But I, I, that's a good answer. But one last question for you, Shane. We appreciate the time you've given us so far. We always ask every guest we have on this show, where do you see the show stock industry in five years? I kind of have uh, two, two ways about that. I think as long as the people that are very passionate about this industry uh, stay actively involved and keep demanding the best and the most integrity for the show and the show industry, I think it will be great. I think it will be better and stronger in five years. Now, my worry is that the passionate people that have the most knowledge about this industry take a back seat to some of the people that, that maybe um, – don't have the knowledge or don't have the passion for the industry and, and those people start taking over. I worry, I worry sometimes if, uh, if the, uh, you know, where it might go in the next handful of years. But I think as long as the people that are truly passionate that, that, and, and there are people that, that, that get into this that weren't raised into it. And I think that's great. I mean, my, I think that's awesome. And, and I think there's a lot of those good people, but I think the people that are truly passionate about it and truly have the, the, greatest goals for this industry and and wanting to make it better each and every time and after each and every show and and after each and every day uh, i think as long as those people stay at the forefront and keep active in it uh, i i think five years from now it's going to be better than it than it is today mm-hmm. well, well at least we hope so <laughs> yeah yes yeah we Try to rub that crystal ball as much as possible. That's usually the answer we get. Well, if I had a crystal ball, maybe I could say, but yeah. Uh, yeah. but no, we uh, we want to thank you so much, Shane. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, o- over an hour and a half now, and we uh, we just appreciate 
us picking your brain there and the knowledge you're going to share with all of our listeners is truly appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you all. Yeah, you bet. Well, guys, uh, we still love to hear from you and we just don't want your topics. We want your social smash. We want to hear your stories. We want to hear, uh, you know, who you have suggested, uh, you know, for some episodes, we've got a ton of suggestions and we've had quite the buildup of our already, uh, pretty deep list. So we've got, uh, quite a few more episodes that we get to record for you guys, which is exciting. So continue to follow us along on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, as always, if you like what you heard, please let us know. Uh, we're we're obviously making this podcast for you guys, and so that's the deal. Uh, go uh, check out stocktalk-podcast.com. Get your merch. Uh, learn about uh, our Patreon episodes as well, so be a subscriber there. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. So become a Patreon. Get some uncut version uh, of some different episodes with me and Trevor, and, and possibly a few guests sprinkled here and there. So. That's right. And along with the Patreon, we are giving away a free year's membership closes this Friday, the 13th. So all you need to do is just take a selfie of you and your stock talk merch posted on our Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook, whatever. And we're going to give away a free year's membership to the Patreon. That being said, folks, we appreciate you listening. We do this for you and we love every single one of you. This has been another edition of Stock Talk.